What started with a virus so small, your eyes couldn't see it. This is about providing a future for humanity. Wir schaffen das. The Commission has decided to fine Google 4.34 billion euros. Questo piano è, è l'occasione della vita. This is Europe's man on the moon moment. We are innovating here and we hope that you like it. L'Europe, d'une force commune d'intervention. Long live Europa. Long live Europe. Vive l'Europe. Welcome to Europe Calling, the first in a series of podcasts brought to you by the European Commission looking at the politics and policies of the Union today. And of course, political life, just like daily life, remains dominated by COVID. Our main guest for this pilot edition is Health Commissioner Stella Kyriakides, who's been at the front line of Europe's fight against the pandemic. We'll be discussing the Commission's new therapeutics strategy, a proposal announced just today. We'll be talking to journalists and citizens across the EU, putting their points and questions directly to Ms. Kyriakides, including on mental health issues, which is one of her areas of expertise. And if thumping rock with a heart and a message is your thing, and it's certainly ours, stay with us as we present Belgium's Banging Souls, direct from their attic recording studio. I'm Stephen Jones. I'm Paul Anderson. And running the technicals, Thibaut Jamar. First up, some perspectives on the situation from different parts of Europe. Italy has been among the hardest-hit countries in the world. At the outbreak of the pandemic, it was Europe's epicentre. Alessandra Quattrocchi is head of video news for the Italian news agency Asca News, and here's her overview of how Italy's managing now. The refrain that I hear everywhere is, we should have done things better. Why are we so behind in a vaccination effort? Uh, the European Union should have managed better the contracts with the pharmaceutical houses. Italy should have done better for itself. Okay, that's the past, but we're also looking to the future. And we shouldn't forget that in the 750 billion euro EU recovery plan, Italy is among the member states that stands to benefit the most. What I want to know is what are Italians saying about how their share of the funding should be used? Generally speaking, people think that it should be used to improve the health sectors and also to help small and medium enterprises. And then there is a general thinking that it should be used to improve the technology sector and to modernize Italy. And Paul, she has one issue especially important to her that she's keen to raise directly with the Commissioner. I think that it's wonderful for the first time to see so many women in power in Europe. And this pandemic showed us that there is need of a combined effort on the part of the European countries to do more. When there is need of care in the family, it is all done by women. That's Alessandra Quattrocchi from Aska News in Italy. And now over to Poland with Mateusz Mazzini, who's a writer for the Polish magazine Politica. What's his take on the situation there? Generally speaking, the mood is rather negative. We see the, the coalition losing support. We see um, tensions within the government. Well, when things aren't going quite so well at national level, there's a tendency to want to shift the blame elsewhere. I wonder if that's happening in Poland. The general public doesn't really see Brussels as the culprit of that situation. There might be occasional propaganda talk about the efficiency of the vaccine itself, especially on the, the AstraZeneca vaccine, but that's not unique to Poland. Brussels is not really being blamed for it. There were attempts to, to do that, but they uh, failed. 
One of, for me, one of the interesting features of Poland is the degree to which its economy is based almost entirely on small to medium-sized enterprises. And what I would like to know is how they've fared in the past year. This is the main line of contention and, and dissatisfaction. Every day you turn on the news, every day you open up a, a, a newspaper, you read testimonies of people running restaurants or uh gyms or swimming pools saying it's been the fifth, six, seven months that we have had no income and we've received zero money. There's a lot of civil disobedience on behalf of uh, entrepreneurs in Poland. So now an opportunity for Mateusz, as for Alessandra, to raise a point directly with the commissioner. What would be his issue? Well, I'm particularly curious if anyone in Brussels has a plan of helping out public healthcare systems for what comes after the pandemic. We tend to hear chatter that the Polish healthcare system is on the brink of collapse, but I fear that the worst is yet to come. Good afternoon, Stella Kiriakides, European Commissioner for Health and Food Safety. Hello, good afternoon. Many thanks indeed for uh, joining us here. You've been listening to our interviews just now with journalists in Poland and Italy, and in particular the question that they've wanted to put to you. What's your response, first of all, to Mateusz in Poland on potential support from the European Union for healthcare services? Well, thank you very much for that question. Yes, I would say that uh, we have been addressing this, and it, this is part of the proposals that we have put forward for a new, a new European health union to have more resilient healthcare systems, and also part of the proposals in our EU for Health program, an ambitious program with a budget of over five billion. So, in the future, not only for this crisis but for future crises, health systems are more resilient and better prepared. Commissioner Stephen Jones here. What's your response to Alessandra's point about the disproportionate burden carried by women during the pandemic? Women uh, are those that are represented most in the care sector in terms also of the healthcare frontline workers in many areas. And of course, um, it is something that we are addressing as the EU also in our uh, equality strategy uh, in order to support those who have been most affected by COVID-19. Commissioner, the European Commission today has unveiled its therapeutic strategy. What is it and how will member states stand to benefit? Research and development of therapeutics for COVID-19 is crucial and we need to have a response to this. We're also learning this virus will probably be amongst us, uh, even though vaccination rates are going up, that uh, citizens, people are falling ill with COVID-19 and that uh, many of them then describe that they have long-term symptoms. So what we're here aiming to do is to pull together the very valuable research, the, the many clinical trials, the experience and expertise in the area of therapeutics going on across Europe. Let's move now to some questions for you, Commissioner, from Europeans who want to ask about various aspects of this crisis. First to Anitra in Riga in Latvia. Hello. Uh, the question that I would like to ask is, as we all know, the rate of vaccination has differed massively across member states in Europe. The effectiveness of vaccination campaigns has also been very variable. Is it real or a fantasy to reach the 70% target by July? You're absolutely right. Uh, we face bottlenecks in supply and production. Uh, by working closely with companies, uh, the production in Europe, capacity in Europe has increased significantly. Deliveries have uh, increased significantly now in quarter two. Vaccination programs are rolling out with member states. And the target vaccination of 70% of the adult 
population by the middle uh, or by, by the end middle or end of July is ambitious, but it is also feasible. Next, a question from Katja in Kiel in Germany. Hi there. I have a question to ask with regards to vaccine supplies to poorer countries. Who takes care of that? And is there enough being done to A, supply them and track the supplies as well? Because I think uh, not only Western countries need to be healthy in order to keep global economy running, but we need the Eastern or poorer countries as well. Global pandemics require global solutions. And this is the only way we're going to be able to move forward. We're working very closely from day one with WHO, with other organizations. Um, because we, when we say no one is safe until everyone is safe, this mustn't just be a phrase. It must be something that we actually believe in and we do as the EU. Thank you very much. Our third question is in the form of an email from Fiona from Waterford in Ireland. And she writes, if there is a further COVID surge, surely the best step to take would be to block travel between countries anywhere in the EU. She feels strongly about this, she says, because Ireland on the westernmost edge of the European Union shouldn't have had the problem it has had. First of all, we're all aware that the measures that are taken by member states are taken at a national level. Of course, different countries have their different epidemiological situations. A fundamental principle um, of the EU is the freedom of movement and of travel. And this is why we have put forward the proposal for the Digital Green Certificate. And we hope that this will move forward in June in order to find a coordinated approach uh, that will enable us to open up travel and economies of movement within the EU safely. And finally, to Margarita, who's from Italy. Thank you for the chance to ask a question. Commissioner, may I ask you about the live entertainment sector and in particular about cultural festivals? This is the second summer of restrictions and cancellations. How can the EU help this sector to recover? Cultural events have been heavily impacted on because uh, social distancing has been part of, uh, of the non-pharmaceutical measures that we need to have in place. But as we move forward with vaccinations increasing, uh, keeping to our measures, I am um, cautiously optimistic that we will be able to see many of these sectors reopening. Many thanks to everyone who's put questions to Commissioner Kiriakides and to you, Commissioner. Please stay with us still. Now, the European Medicines Agency, the EMA, has played a pivotal role in the management of the pandemic. That role is to promote the development of medicines and vaccines and to evaluate and authorise them for release in the market. Joining us from the agency's headquarters in Amsterdam is Noel Wathion, the EMA's Deputy Executive Director. Mr Wathion, thanks for joining us here on Europe Calling. It's a pleasure. What has the agency learned from this pandemic for the better management of future ones? I can give you some examples. We introduced the concept of so-called rapid scientific advice. And this is something uh, that we can also use for any future public health emergencies. In terms of mid-term um, lessons learned, uh, one has to think about uh, reinforcing the, uh, the preparedness, the crisis preparation and the crisis response at the level of the EU. What's your response to the sometimes widespread vaccine hesitation and even vaccine rejection? We have to make sure that we have high quality scientific expertise and you have to reassure the public about that. 
A second element is transparency. It is important that people know how these vaccines are being assessed. Where does the EMA stand right now on the authorization of the Russian vaccine, Sputnik V, and the Chinese vaccines? Well, it is important to emphasize that all uh, vaccines or all applications that are being made at the level of EMA are treated in exactly the same way. For Sputnik, we are in the process of a rolling review, which is, I would say, the penultimate phase before an application for conditional marketing authorizations. In terms of the Chinese uh, vaccine, then primarily the Sinovac vaccine, here we are uh, at a little uh, earlier stage, I would say we're also in dialogue, but we have not yet started the rolling review which means that the data package is not yet that substantial. What's your wider reflection on Europe's response to COVID? I think we have been confronted with quite an historic scientific achievement because within less than one year following the announcement of the the pandemic situation, we were able uh, to join efforts and to make sure Uh, that we have vaccines available as quickly as possible so that we can protect public health. Noel Watillon from the European Medicines Agency, thank you for joining us. Commissioner Kyriakidis, thanks for still being with us. Let's look back on the difficulties the EU faced with the vaccine rollout. How would you respond to critics who say the Commission simply got it wrong? I would say to them that uh, we need to see where we are now. Yes, there were challenges in the supply and in the delivery and the production of vaccines at the beginning of this year. But now the vaccination deliveries are um, increasing, they're more predictable, and more and more citizens are being vaccinated every day. We have safe and effective vaccines across the European Union and countries, whether they were big or small member states, have had equal access with citizens being vaccinated at the same time. This for myself and for all of us is really European solidarity in action. Some member states have gone their own way in terms of vaccine procurements. How helpful or not has that been to Europe's overall response? Some member states may have moved forward with vaccines that were not in our portfolio and approved by the European Medicines Agency. But uh, I think that what we can say here is the importance of the coordination and the strength of solidarity and unity with member states. And this has really been, from the beginning, key in, in all the areas. I'd like to turn now to mental health, which I know is an area of expertise for you personally as a clinical psychologist specialising in children and adolescents. What has struck you most forcefully over the past 15 months or so about the impact of COVID on people's mental health? Everything has struck me. Um, I think that um, we've been concentrating and we need to concentrate on the physical side of of the repercussions of COVID-19. We have seen here, because of the pandemic, a huge suffering, loss of lives in families. Uh, It has changed our world. It has changed our lives. Children not attending school, the greatest toll on the most vulnerable, the elderly being isolated. For myself, but for us as a commission, mental health is a priority. We are going to be doing everything possible to support member states. And uh, at the moment, we're working on this through the health policy platform. But we're going to be working in order to ensure that member states have the support they need to increase the provision of mental health services. Finally, Commissioner Kiri Kiddes, some quick questions demanding quick answers. 
The COVID recovery programme, 750 billion euros. What are Europe's top priorities? To boost and support member states, to help them recover from the pandemic, greener and more sustainable economies. What's the key lesson for you in dealing with future pandemics? The strength of solidarity, the importance of coordination, the importance of unity with member states and a European health union so that we face future health crisis together as a union. The COVAX programme to get vaccines to less developed parts of the world. We need global solutions. We have had challenges, but this is something that is a top priority for us with Team Europe and we will continue to support in every way possible. Stella Kyriakidis, European Commissioner for Health and Food Safety, thank you very much. Now, Stephen, let me put this question to you. If you were to ask Europeans what they're most looking forward to doing again after pandemic restrictions begin to ease a bit, how high would music gigs and festivals be on their list? Good question, Paul. The music sector has been pretty much stopped dead in its tracks by COVID-19 and it's unclear when, even if, it will fully recover. Most affected are clearly the performers themselves, performers like Ludwig Panchard and Gail Mavis, founding members of the Belgian rock trio The Banging Souls, whose music you're listening to right now. Well, Ludwig and Gael are in a recording studio in the attic of a house in Namur, just south of Brussels. First, let me ask you both about the effect prolonged lockdown has had on you. At the beginning, we thought that we would get over it and that in a few months we would quickly uh, be able to get our life back. So (laughs) we tried to write new songs, stay in touch with our fans. We did concerts on Facebook, but with no visibility, no purpose and uh, little income, we quickly lose our faith. And today it's been over a year that we are still on mute. We're waiting for like a signal, but we don't have any. So uh, we, we don't keep the faith, we, we, we lose faith in public power. In addition to losing a job, we, we will have lost family, friends, freedom and self-esteem. It is a hell of a battle that we are fighting now and I hope we'll get through this together. When you get back to performing publicly and making music in the coming months and years, are you thinking of new themes for songs? Are you thinking of new ways of making music? We'll never stop doing music, mm. uh, but how can we decently live today? Uh, how can we be heard and seen? The industry uh, of music has changed fundamentally. Everything is, re- is, is done to, to encourage us to, to, to remain, be alone. To be alone, <laughs> to, to be remain alone. alone. Yes, and to get on any platforms for less than one euro cent per stream. And we can't be happy or in peace with that. So. I think that today the, the independent artist has to, we have to get closer to, to, to the people, maybe create download platforms that will work fairly. That will be a change. Uh, yes. A download platform, a fairly download platform. We can compete with those big platforms and, uh, and if venues or festivals remain closed, we can't exist. It's quite a depressing and sad picture that you paint there, particularly when you look at it in the context of live music being the lifeblood for musicians. Live music is everything for bands. When, yes. we, when we create a song, uh, the purpose is to bring it on stage. Uh, we can see directly the reactions of the people uh, and a band needs to get on stage, it needs to play to achieve. You talked a little bit earlier about streaming platforms. What do you think Europe can do to help 
artists succeed. In 2020, Spotify increased their, their income by 25%. And do we get money for that? No, we, we can't even buy us uh, a, right, beer, beer. a beer at the end of the month. People <laughs> don't really realize good. that uh, they, you have a plenitude of artists on these platforms. Uh, everybody can listen to anybody, but only the big stars get the money. And that's not fair. In the United Kingdom, for example, um, a commission of inquiry uh, has uh, been conducted by the government to, in order to properly redistribute the income to the, the actor of popular culture. And I hope that Europe will follow and I hope that Europe will defend artists who are struggling now. Ludwig Panchard, Gail Mievis from The Banging Souls, thank you very much for joining us. This has been Europe Calling. Our thanks to Commissioner Kyriakides and to all our other guests. We'll be back. Keep an eye on the Europe Calling podcast page for news on future editions. From me, Paul Anderson. Me, Stephen Jones. And our sound engineer, Thibaut Jamar. Thank you for listening. This is about providing a future for humanity. The Commission has decided to fine Google 4.34 billion euros. This is Europe's man on the moon moment. We are innovating here and we hope that you like it. Long live Europe. Vive l'Europe.